Our first reading today comes from the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, chapter 150. And if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 583, towards the front of the book. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading today comes from the book of Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel, sorry, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll continue in chapter 6, but I'll be reading chapters 1 through 15 rather than 1 through 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. For some time while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, it is you who shall be my shepherd of my people, Israel. You shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years at Hebron. And he reigned over Judah seven years and six months at Jerusalem. And he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. We continue on in chapter 6. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people went with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Yuzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ohio went in went in front of the ark. David and all the house of Israel dancing before the Lord with all their might, their songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the ark, and he died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon Uzzah. So that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the ark of the Lord come into my care? So David was unwilling to take the ark of the Lord into his care in the city of David. Instead, David took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. It was told King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. 
So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Loving God, you have gathered us, your people, together in this place. And for the purpose of our hope to be strengthened in your word, be strengthened as your, your witness to the world, to understand how you would have us lived and to be transformed in your presence. So I ask whether in spite, through me or in spite of me, we all may feel your presence, that we all may know that you are here, and we all might be transformed in our lives so that as we leave this place and go about our living, we may do so in your, to your glory and honor. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died so that we might be forgiven and reconciled with you. Amen. We did another jump. That seems to be the theme of this uh, lectionary year of these large swaths of story uh, that we just aren't covering as we cover big, big events through the year. But what I want you to know from what happened in the story of Ruth to now is about two, two centuries, 200 years. The time of the judges, where there were people raised up in particular times to address a particular concern, and usually that was the times of where military strength was needed, where, where war was setting in, where the, uh, the, those outsiders were trying to conquer the tribes of Israel. And then a judge would come up, some men, some women um, would come up, would, would conquer the enemies, would reignite a passion for God, for God's people, and then they would continue, and it would work out for a while, and then eventually a judge would be needed. And that's the, 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 the general tone of the book of Judges that, that covers forward. And then we hear, know that, that the people of God told God that they needed a king, that they needed someone to unite them, they needed a king over them, and, and they wanted God to appoint one. And we know from the story that God at first did not want to. God said, you don't need a king. Focus your eyes on me. So focus your energy on me. Focus your, 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 your lives on my commands and everything will work out for you. And the people again said, no, we need a king. And I imagine God saying, fine, I will give you a king, but it's not going to go well for you. I mean, that's a paraphrase, but it's roughly what happened. And so God appoints a man uh, 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 through the tribal elders electing uh, a man named Saul. And for a time, Saul was a good king. But then Saul at one point decided he was going to focus on the things that kings generally focus on. And this is why God warned the people that it was not going to go well. He wanted security. He wanted peace. He wanted power. He wanted might and he wanted wealth. And so he starts accumulating on the, focusing on these things, taking his eyes off of God's commandments, and that's when his reign goes downhill. Saul eventually dies, not at the hands of David, but Saul does die, and the, the kingdom becomes somewhat divided. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, which is kind of 
Saul's uh, territory and, and Saul's son. And, and, and then eventually uh, another takes up Saul's reign in the north. And you have David, who had already been anointed by this point to be God's next king of Israel. And he was uh, ruling, ruling from uh, the south and Hebron. And so we have this division. Finally, the, the next in line from Saul's line in the north comes to an end. David's might is recognized. And David, uh, the, the tribes of Israel, especially the ones from the north, come to David and say, remember, we are your people. We are of the same bone. We are the same flesh. And we recognize that you are the king of Israel, the one anointed by God. And David, whether passionately or shrewdly or a little mixture of both, makes a covenant with them, and they eventually decide that David decides that Jerusalem will be the seat of power. That it is not what will not be in the kingdom of the north, and it will not be in the south of Hebron, but it will be in this middle place of Jerusalem. And so we have these conflicts starting to form before this point. We have these divisions over who is the rightful heir of the kingdom of Israel, of the throne. Does it follow through Saul or does it go to David? And these divisions uh, were manifest in disagreements and, and some fighting and, and, and some treachery. I mean, if you want to read about political uh, intrigue, and murder and assassination and these things, you don't have to go far. You just need to read this part, these parts of the Bible in First and Second Samuel and and Kings. And if you want an answer to that, read Chronicles. But we have these people that were divided, and we see them wanting to come together, to be reconciled with one another, to to move forward together, because that's what we're talking about when, it turn, when we talk about reconciliation. We can't have forgiveness without reconciliation, where, we're, uh, where the things that we have done and the, things that, the laws that we have broken, the ways that we have hurt other people, it's not enough to say that I'm sorry. It's not enough to say I'm sorry and then everything is hunky-dory. You know this because there is division in our lives today family, uh, uh, between family members, there has been brokenness and hurt and pain and, in, and, and, and forgiveness and reconciliation is desperately needed. And we know that those who have hurt us, if they just came up to us and flippantly said, I'm sorry, we know in our hearts it just wouldn't be enough to rebuild the relationship that's been broken. Outside of our families, we see neighbors arguing with neighbors and we see in our political system those who, uh, oh, uh, we see disagreements abound to the point where we start casting the other as the enemy instead of a fellow American. We start criticizing and dehumanizing. We go to international conflict. And we don't have to go far, far to see that the pains of the past, the hurts of the past, are not going to be solved by a simple, I'm sorry. What's deeply needed is reconciliation, a rebuilding, a reckoning, and rebuilding. And this is at the heart of what God has done for us, what Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection. We have not only been forgiven, but we are reconciled with God. We've been, what has been separated, what has been broken, what has been terminated, 
what has been thought beyond repair has been repaired in Christ and through Christ. And we model that, we live that out in how we want to seek out reconciliation with those that we have hurt and those that have hurt us. And I want you to know that I am specifically talking from a Christian perspective. We cannot force upon others this idea of reconciliation and forgiveness. We cannot look at an outside group who are not bound by this understanding of what God did through Christ and say, this is what you must do. We can only tell one another this is what we should do as those who follow Christ. And it is hard work, and it is almost impossible at times because of the pains that have been wrought both against us and that we have committed. And sometimes we don't recognize the depth of the hurt that we may have caused. Because we can see something along the lines of, of a pain that maybe a, a slight to someone or or we, we, we made an offhanded comment and we think, oh, it was just a joke. But we don't know what's going on inside that other person that received it. And we don't know how much they're hurting. And so we can't say, well, I just meant it as a joke. I'm sorry. We have to go from their perspective. We have to experience what pain they've felt and work in reconciliation from there. The first step that is for us is to recognize that those who we are arguing with, those we are fighting with, those we are in disagreement with, those that we need to reconcile with, have a shared story. Just as the, the, the tribal leaders who came to, uh, to David for reconciliation, they said, we are a bone of your bone. We are the same flesh. Now, they were not only invoking the fact that they were of the same people, of the same tribes, of the same genealogy, but they were going back even further in that, this, this language. And you may have heard me misread the passage as I was reading it, pointing to this and pointing to the language used. It goes all the way back to the beginning of this story of Adam and Eve, where Adam proclaims, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. They weren't just going back to uh, their common ancestry of Jacob, they were going all the way back to their common humanity and saying, we have a history. And because of that history, we want to work this out. We want to repair what has been broken. And so sometimes this hard path of reconciliation has to start with going back to those shared stories. And this happens in our families. It happens among our friends that have, where relationships have been broken and mended. It's about finding that common ground. It's from understanding what has come before. And sometimes that's things, shared stories, shared, shared memories of college days or, or growing up as kids of siblings. And go, by doing that, we begin the process of recognizing that while we are now broken, we have not always been that. It has not always been the case. And from that, you can say, what was once before can be had again. The other step in forgiveness and reconciliation, I believe, is that sense of empathy, empathy that sense of understanding of what the other has gone through. 
we cannot rebuild what is broken without first stepping into the shoes in some way of truly trying to feel what another person has, been, has, has felt. We see that in today's story as well, where the, 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 the tribal leaders who came to David says, I now recognize, we now understand that you are the anointed king. We now see it from your perspective that you were chosen, in this case, chosen by God, and you were anointed and set as king. They had to make that step. And you can read this in a way that they were just being politically expedient. They were buttering David up so that, that things would happen well. But in terms of how we want to read it, in terms of how uh, we can read it, we can see it as a true understanding. If we want what has been broken, the relationships to be that have been broken, if we want to see reconciliation and new birth and new growth in those relationships, we need to move forward in that sense of empathy, of saying, I see now what I did to you. And if we have, if we have been harmed, helping another see what they have done to us. Because reconciliation is hard. Under the wrong conditions, it's downright impossible. It doesn't seem like it should work because saying I'm sorry does not cover it. And the actual work required in rebuilding what was broken is extensive. And so sometimes we say, you know, I just don't have time for that. I don't want to go about it. I am too tired. I'm too hurt. I'm done. But imagine if God had done that to us. Imagine if God had looked at our sin, looked at everything that we've done wrong, all the ways that we have broken his command and turned away from him, even after confessing him as Lord and Savior, because we are still in need of his grace after we do so. What if each time we have hurt God, we have said, you are not enough. God said, oh, I'm done with you. I've had enough. There is nothing I can do. There's nothing I want to do. I'm tired of all of this, and I give up. We would be surely lost. We would have no hope. Yet our God of infinite love, of infinite mercy, and a God that seeks out reconciliation, that is always tearing down the boundaries that we build up, always tearing down the very things that we think we need to to define who is loved and who is not, who is welcome and who is not, whose sin is too great to be beyond reconciliation and whose isn't. Our God is tearing down those walls because at one point we were on the other side of that wall that somebody else built. And he said, no, what once was broken can be mended. And he gave us a son, Jesus Christ, to do just that. And so we use the example of Christ, we use the reconciliation that God offers us, that we have to not only say, I'm sorry, but turn away from the things that we have done, turn towards God to understand, and then do the work of reconciliation, of rebuilding on our part. We do that through seeking after what God wants for us. We do that through seeking God's guidance in our daily lives. We do that through 
trying to understand more about who God is and what God wants of us through reading the scripture, through conversing with God in prayer. These are the things that God has made available to us so that we might be reconciled with him, so that we might grow more in love with him and less likely to turn away again. When we do that, we start to approach the world in a different way. When we gather as God's reconciled people, we should be living in a different way. We should be approaching life situations in a different way. We should be speaking to one another in a different way. How we live and how we act should appear different from those who are not Christian. Not so that we can lord it over them and tell them how they should act, but so they might see hope and forgiveness and reconciliation in our actions and then desire it for themselves. If we want our faith to be lived out in such a way, then we've got to do a couple of things. We've got to recognize that we are not God's protectors. We don't build up the boundaries. We don't build up the divisions. We don't define who is in and who is out, who should be reconciled and who shouldn't because God needs our protection. In today's story, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, that place where God is said to rest, that, that thin place on earth where the divine and the human world or the, the natural world are, its, are at its closest, and they were pulling it along on a cart. They weren't actually pulling it around in the proper way. And in front of that Ark or around that Ark were 30,000 soldiers proclaiming might and bringing the ark back. And this ark that had been moved around all of the, 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 the towns of the Philistines, bringing plagues wherever it went, and then eventually the Philistines put that ark essentially on a cart with a donkey with no driver. And they said, if it ends up where it's supposed to go, it's from God. If it doesn't, at least it's out of our hands because everywhere that ark went was causing problems. Plagues, golden hemorrhoids. I mean, there, there's a lot of things going on in these stories. Again, you should read some of these things. But God, the ark did not need protected. God's presence did not need protected. And here, as this procession was going, this military procession of 30,000 soldiers, of David, of Uzzah, and Uzzah thinks that he has to protect the ark and keep it from falling, and so he puts up his hand to stop it. And now that's instinctual, and we don't want to think of God as putting to death a man who instinctually went to touch this thing that is, uh, and, and study this thing that is holy. But if we think about it in terms of everything the ark had gone through, everything that had touched it, everyone who had tried to control it, and going back to where it's, its rightful place on the back of a donkey without any kind of procession, it becomes a little silly to think that God needed his protection. Likewise for us. We don't do what we do because God needs our protection. We seek out reconciliation. We seek out forgiveness. We seek a better way and live a better way. Not because we need to defend God, but because we are moved by God. Because we see as soon as David recognized that he was not the one in charge, 
He was not the one that needed to protect God to make sure that the ark didn't get stolen again. As soon as he realized also that it wasn't a thing of fear, but it was something to be treated with respect, he tried again. Now, one would argue that it's a little excessive, that every six steps you, you slaughter a calf. It's a long walk from where it was to where it's going. That's a lot of animals. But he approached it with respect and reverence and recognized that God was the one in charge. And for David's reign, whenever he got into trouble, whenever the people of God got into trouble, whenever anything happened, it was that, that switch that had happened. No longer viewing God as the one in control, the one to be revered, but the one to be controlled or the one to be ignored, things went downhill. And so if we, if we want to be God's people, if we want to be Christians in this world and have a Christian voice, proclaiming the good news, proclaiming that reconciliation and rebuilding is possible, we've got to recognize that we're not doing it because we control God and, we not, and we're not doing it because uh, we need to protect God, because we revere God and place him first. And when we do that, I can guarantee that God will bless us. And when we don't, unfortunately, all bets are off. This is my hope for us. This is my desire for us as a church, is how do we be God's people of reconciliation with a, with a voice uh, inspired by the scriptures, inspired by how we understand that God to be at work in the world, and then use that voice and live from that place and have it guide our actions and guide our thoughts and guide how we exist in this world so that there is another voice crying out in the wilderness where there are already voices of division, of hatred, of, of pain and suffering, where there are voices calling for more violence, there are voices calling for, uh, for sustained suffering, voices of I am me and I am good and you are evil and you are the enemy. What the world desperately needs now is a people who have claimed that act of reconciliation for themselves, claim that voice and speaks from it into a world that is desperately and painfully divided. Will everyone listen? Probably not. Will it make a difference? I have no idea. But I have faith that that voice needs to be heard. And when it is heard by the right people, right circumstances, it will and it can make a difference. I know that because it has made a difference about you and me and those that I know that follow Christ. You can find examples in history where that voice has made a difference. So as we embark on the rest of our service as eventually when we leave and depart from this place and and you gather around the tables drinking coffee eating pastries from yesterday's service for barbara stockler or the fruit or anything like that talk about those places where you've experienced reconciliation where you've experienced true forgiveness and rebuilding where you've offered it up to someone else and if you really want to get in depth if you really want to get vulnerable to work on this voice and understanding, talk to one another about those places that you're not there yet. 
you're not ready for forgiveness. You're not ready to offer it. You're not ready to take the steps that are required to receive it. And that you're just resting in that brokenness because it's easy. And in doing so and having those conversations, we learn, we grow, we proclaim who we are as the reconciled people of God and where we're not there yet. This is how the body of Christ truly is transformed. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, you have brought us together, you have reconciled us to you, and you have united us together in spite of our differences, in spite of all the things that uh, we may not agree on. We are a body, not because we chose it, but because you chose us. And through your Son, Jesus Christ, you enabled us to care for one another, to lift one another up, to share one another's burdens, even when we do not always agree. You did not leave us to our sin. You did not leave us separated from you. You did not leave us separated from those that we have hurt and those that have hurt us. Instead, you invite us to seek forgiveness, but then also to work towards reconciliation, rebuilding what was broken, mending what was needs repaired. And you give us the example of how to do that in your word and in your own actions for us through your Son. Help us to learn from that. Help us to see what you have done for us and how you have done it so that we might follow it and live it out for others in our own actions. Let us be guided in our own way of living, not so that we might see ourselves as better or not so that we might see ourselves as having done more, but simply because we are following your will and living after your call. We cannot control what others do. We cannot control what others say. But we can control how we respond. So we ask that you shape us and mold us into your people, uniting us together in the, in the task of common growth and in faith and in love of you, in claiming the voice that you give us and the perspective that you offer us, the worldview not knowing who can hear it, not knowing who will hear it or if it will make a difference, but simply because that's what you've asked us to do and trusting that in doing so we are following your will but also being a light and a beacon for others who, uh, who seek it for themselves to see and desire it for themselves. We lift up the ministries of our church the things that we do, the celebrations that we've had, the blessings that you have given us in the call to be your people in our community here in Berwyn, the community that we also pray for because there is brokenness around. There are those who struggle with addiction, those who are in need of your care, those who are in need of medical care, those who are in need of food. There is poverty within our city limits. And it is so hard to see. And yet there are people who are hurting. We ask that you would show us to them, show them to us, so that we might see their needs and learn from them how we might be your people in meeting them and being a voice for them, to those in power. 
We pray for all those in our church and our community who are grieving. We pray for Vicki, Alexander, and Olivia. We place them in your loving care that they might know who you are, that they might find your peace. And whether they may know you by name or not, may one day find comfort in you. Likewise, we pray for all those who are grieving this day. We pray for all those who grieve for Barbara Stockler. Let us be reminded as your people that you have given us a great promise that though this, these painful times, the, the, these losses are sudden and feel painful, that you give us the promise that they are not permanent that through you, eternal life is possible. And trust that your grace is bigger than anything that we can imagine. We pray for those who are caring for loved ones, who are at their wit's end, who are lost and, and hurting because of what has happened to those around them. We lift up Michael. We lift up our nation. Our leaders are in, leadership is in disarray. We can't seem to find common ground. We have no idea how reconciliation, forgiveness, and a path forward are possible. Especially when there are so many voices that speak against it. But in these moments, that's when your voice and, and your voice through us needs to be heard the most. We pray for conflicts around the world. We denounce violence and terrorism and the death of uh, innocent lives, whoever they may be, wherever they may be. So we do pray for those who are grieving in Israel and those who are our neighbors who are grieving for Israel. We also grieve for those in Palestine. Our own imagination is faulty, is finite. We can't imagine any way outside of violence that that, can, that situation can be resolved. And that's a failure on our part, not on yours. So help us. Help us to see a better way. Help us to understand. Help us to rebuild. Help us to live as your people. Help us to long for and pray for that day when your justice will reign, your mercy will be what is known far and wide, and that the divisions that we create between nationality, gender, beliefs, and religion, who we love, that all of these divisions that we create, sometimes in our desire to protect you and defend you, as if you need it, will be torn down. But until those days, until that day, help us to live as your people here and now, even when it makes no sense. Help us to follow after you, to be guided by you, to seek forgiveness when we have gone astray, and strength, courage, and conviction 
to share your good news in our world today. And to add our voice as we understand how you work in our world. To the noise that we that seems to proclaim otherwise. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who recognized and reconciled us to you through his life and death and resurrection, and gives us a hope that sin and death have been defeated and that there is another way. And when our words fail, when we have no idea what to do, when we have no idea how to pray, let us always turn to these words that you taught your disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Before I offer up this morning's benediction, and a couple of announcements. Next weekend, there are two large events in the life of our church. In the morning is our charge conference, so all members of the church are invited to come to St. Matthew's in Valley Forge uh, to uh, between 9 and 10.30 uh, to participate in charge conference, to vote on uh, various uh, leadership, pastor salary, and to share with the DS uh, what's going on. And, and it is a standard kind of cluster conference kind of thing that we're used to over these last few, few years, but um, your voice is still needed. That afternoon, starting at 3 o'clock, is our trunk or treat. Um, so if you haven't, have signed up and you have questions or you haven't signed up yet to decorate your car and participate in that event, please see Christine. I don't have to point her out by her clothing in the back uh, like I have the last few weeks. I'm glad she's here today up front with us. Um, it's an opportunity. Also, uh, what time would you like them here to park and decorate their trunk? Um, you could start parking and decorating around 12, 12 o'clock, definitely by 1 o'clock. Okay. Um, so yes, uh, bring your cars out. We'll make sure there's space for you. Uh, bring out those treats and, and welcome people from our community to our uh, location, to our, uh, our community and offering up that safe place to trick or treat and be blessed. Uh, starting in two weeks, on the first Sunday of each month, we're going to start a Next Steps group uh, in the parlor after worship. Grab your coffee, grab whatever it may be, and this is an opportunity to see what we're doing next as a congregation and to see how you can play a part in that, how you can be involved in what's happening next and be a part of that conversation. And so that's the first Sunday every month after worship in the parlor. I wanted to give you warning so that you can plan out to be here uh, in a couple of weeks when we happen. And now receive this benediction. May you go from this place, trusting in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May you know that you have been reconciled to God by, the Son, by his Son, Jesus Christ. And through his reconciliation and forgiveness, you can be a voice for such in the world. Now I invite you to pray the prayer uh, that we pray each week. That should be on the words, uh, in, screens in front of you. Send to us all the people who feel unwanted and unloved. And if they can't come to us, send us to them. 
May you go from this place in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.